1: Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. And our guest today is Kim Bohr, and she is with the Innovar Group. And we're going to talk a little bit about the work she does with executives, with entrepreneurs, with CEOs helping them think through how to be more strategic, uh, how to break through some of the challenges and the obstacles that they're having in not only kind of leading the business, but growing the business. Exciting stuff. I'm always fascinated to talk with other people that help CEOs, leaders kind of think through not only strategically what do they need to achieve, but how are they holding themselves back and how are they in their own way? Because I find that's typically the case. So I'm, I'm curious to have this conversation. I think we're getting a lot of good insights and a lot of good takeaways. With that, Kim, welcome to the program.
0: Thank you so much, Bruce, for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
1: So why don't we talk a little bit about just how you got into this space? So what was your professional background that got you into just working with leaders on strategy and about their own kind of mindset and limitations? What was your experience?
0: So I started off, you know, early in my career, I'd always just had this inherent desire to lead and to have my own business and to just, I was always fascinated with the dynamics of business. So every time as I was young and going through my career, I was just engaged in different aspects of business. And I always like to say I was, you know, somewhat of a student of business, just studying all the different components as I went through it. And at one point early in my career, I got to lead and I was a terrible leader. I did not have good, I really was. And not because I wanted to be right. I wanted to be this great leader, but I didn't have good mentors at the time. I didn't have good leaders. And when I went to them to say, hey, I'm not getting the results I need to with this team. What's what am I doing wrong? They couldn't tell me. And what I realized was they couldn't tell me because they weren't you know, skilled and developed in it. And so it was a real pivotal point for me because I needed to figure it out because I didn't want to have people not wanting to be at work every day, not wanting to go and work towards a shared mission. So it was at that point that I engaged my own executive coach. I had read uh, Marshall Goldsmith's book that is still a classic, um, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And it just launched me into this place of, This passion of how do I become a good leader? But then, how do I? And I don't believe it's a, I don't believe I'm done. Like, I believe it's a constant journey of development. But then, how do I help others in their development journey as I also have a passion in business and help grow business? So, over the years of working inside organizations and having my own company, those themes have always been very much in play. And so, the idea of business growth to me is very, very much tied to people and to creating alignment there. And so that's just been a constant, a constant theme as I've worked and grown to develop myself and then obviously, you know, had it as a passion to develop others around me.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny, I, I find that so often that leaders, particularly sort of founders, that you know, the company starts to grow, or they start bringing on a team, you know, they find themselves not really being well trained on leadership skills. I mean, I, what do you think is not working <laughs> around this kind of our education system? Or, I mean, guys, why do you think that happens? Or what have you noticed, not only your own experience, but the others you've worked with in terms of just the, yeah, the lack of leadership skills for a lot of these folks that end up in these leadership positions.
0: It's all too common. And I think there's a couple of buckets. I think one of the buckets is when you're inside an organization, there's still a mindset of promoting based on performance. And so that what gets missed is the ability to be well-suited for the role. So your performance could be all those technical skills, you're constantly achieving your numbers. But this concept of suitability is really about do you actually enjoy the needed behaviors that you have to exhibit on a day to day basis to do a particular role. And in leadership, a lot of times, I think people believe, you know, they can parlay their independent experience into leading and they can they want to still have people see them as a, a peer or as a friend and and it really is quite a different mindset and a very different skill set and so I think that's one of the big gaps is that inside organizations that's still a broken part of that system that we need people to look at some of that suit of that suitability side to understand well do people actually want to do this do they actually exhibit the behaviors and traits we need the other side of though I see this happening is in the startup community where, you know, really smart professionals, yeah. you know, whether they be engineers or something, then have these great ideas and they can get the funding and they can start a company and all of a sudden their title's a CEO. And with it, it feels like they're almost embarrassed to say, you know, I don't know how to lead. Like all of a sudden I'm now leading an organization and or they just assume they have to, like these skills are somehow, you know, imparted on them be- with like some magic fairy dust. So <laughs> it's like... It's really fascinating and it's really consistent. So I think that there's that belief of, well, if I have the technical skills, the professional skills to go and start this thing, then um, this other stuff should fall in place. And the reality is it's just just not that easy. These are all skills we have to develop. Even if we have an inherent interest in leading, it's still a very skill-based experience. So I think that there's a couple of buckets – And I think part of it's about – I think at the end it's about realizing this growth mindset around what do I need to learn to just be – it, you will know, be better and constantly be evolving and growing so I can impart that on
1: others. Yeah. And do you, do you have a particular kind of leadership model that you kind of subscribe to or that you use in the work that you do? And I'm kind of curious how much you feel like there are, you know, kind of core leadership skills that every leader must have, you know, versus there's lots of different ways to be a leader and you kind of, you, you develop your own kind of style and approach. You know, I guess how how much do you see as being kind of, well, no, there really are a common set versus, you know, you can be different types of leaders, you just need to figure out what kind of leader you're gonna be and then be really good at that.
0: You know, personally I think the most engaging and results oriented leadership is serpent leadership where we're really more uh, where our skills are around enabling the really smart and talented people we bring around us on our teams to, to be their best and to do their best and within that I think there's there's three different areas that I practice and I, I in consult with other organizations and leaders to practice on and so the first is around curiosity we often enter into a situation with an assumption around what our belief system is or what we think this person's going to say or do. And that really clouds our ability to get to the heart of the of the issue or the opportunity or just to really understand. And so if we come at a place of being curious where we're generally asking questions to understand someone's perspective, it doesn't mean we have to agree with it. It just means we're trying to get this clarity and context so that we can uh, now be on the same the same understanding and move forward from there. So curiosity is huge and and not going in and thinking that we know what that person's going to say because, you know, of X, Y, Z. Because <laughs> we don't. <laughs> yeah. So because we don't, yeah. right? And, and, you know, we don't give people that opportunity. So I think that's one of the biggest ones. The other is you really in, invest in your team to give them the ability to grow and to fail along the way. And what I often... Suggest is create some boundaries where they can safely fail, where they can have some independence. And then the guidelines where it's a red flag, if you see this, this, and this, come to me. But if you don't see those things, go ahead and make the decisions yourself or or go ahead and, you know, process the whatever it is you're doing forward. Because people need to have the ability to build trust and they need to learn. And I often run across leaders and organizations that are moving so quickly, which is just the pure nature of. Our business society that it's just easier if I do it. Well, that easier if I do it holds you back as developing as a leader. And especially when, as you're becoming, you know, more, either more senior in your company or you're the owner of your company and you really need to be visionary and looking forward. It really, really holds you back to being able to do that because you're still in this doer mode. And so you really have to develop the people around you to, to allow them to make mistakes and learn from them and grow and that sort of thing. So it's curiosity. It's building that team around you to really be able to, um, to fail safely. And then, you know, the third, I often say is about, um, really just recognizing you don't have to have all the answers. And so trying to say, you know, say asking questions, but also saying, you know, I'm really not as clear on, on what, where we want to go with that. Let me get back to you. And then committing to a time to do it. That's what really builds, uh, engagement and buy-in, and so those are the three areas that I subscribe to that I really encourage others to. And and I think that the results can be pretty significant, pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned uh, th- this idea of failing uh, a couple of times, and I'm always kind of curious to to dig into this with folks. Is how how do you differentiate or how do you uh, d- sort of distinguish between? sort of good and bad failure Um, you know i always find that there's there's always a little bit of pushback of oh we should we should just allow more failure like okay like i get we should we should take more risks we should have you know more chances to kind of try things and be okay with certain things not working out but just pure failure though can be problematic how how do you make sure that it's uh helpful failure or 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 positive failure what's what's your kind of take on that
0: So two things. So one is I look at failures as a catalyst for growth. So I talk about it as a place like, let's reframe what that word means. Because if we only play to our strengths, we don't actually grow in our capacity. And so understanding that our failures are something that we have to own, that we obviously aren't trying to like, go and repeat them. But you know, when we make calculations we think are often good calculations and sometimes they're not. And they don't necessarily have to be big failures. You know, some of them could be that, you know, somebody sent an email that was just had a real heavy tone to it and it didn't land well and it, you know, made everybody mad (laughs) inside the organization or their team. Like that could be a failure of, wow, I miss Mm-hmm. red, I was rushing, like those are little things, right? But they had big impact. And those are things you can correct. So so I so what the first part is, I really look at failures as a as this catalyst for growth. Specifically, though, I think we can't have everybody just, you know, running wild. So there's always guidelines and that we want to give and so certain projects so often I say we, we tend to delegate to our players, but really then we're not developing a really robust team. And so if we think about what are certain projects we could ask people to take the lead on, and and those projects don't have to have the same level of authority. So a certain project might be defined where you can give somebody and say, okay, here's the guidelines I want you to play in, but if you hit these certain areas come back to me. Um, And I think a big piece of failure, though, is for people then to actually be able to say, hey, this is the calculation I made. This is what I screwed up on. And I recognize now what to do differently or what not to do. And I think it's about people being able to then um, own that accountability and ownership of what happened that shows um, a lesson that's been learned that coming out of it. I think that's really critical. I think if we have a culture that doesn't promote it in that way, or we have individuals that don't view it in that way, then that's a problem. Um, but if we can get people to see it that way, then it's just we just keep building capacity for people to you know, to grow and have that confidence to be able to actually you know, make those calculated risks. Yeah. As well.
1: Yeah. No, I think that I think that makes sense, and I think that is a good you know kind of way to look at it as as you know failure is really that opportunity to learn and grow. So that's the. That, that's the goal of it, or the, oh, that's what we need to pull out of it. Uh, is there any process that you use, or in any? way, I just find sometimes the fail, sometimes the failures are uh, either uh, you know emotionally charged, or complicated, or um, you know just have lots of different facets. H- is there any process that you use to kind of help diagnose, or to review, or kind of sort through a particular failure and find the most salient? Uh, kind of learnings or opportunities for growth within there.
0: Yeah, you know when I'm when I'm looking at it from a consulting perspective, and I'm really trying to train organizations how to to just do this for themselves. I follow a process where I call assess, align, and accelerate. And what we do is we're really looking at okay, what assessing the situation, assessing you know your current um, goals. So what I like to say is, solid strategy will not survive poor execution. You know, no matter <laughs> how much time we yeah. think. This plan is going to make us if we haven't put the time in on the execution side, it's going to fail. And the execution side is aligning your people and your process. And so so when we talk about the failures, we look at how well did you know, how well did you do or how well did the organization do and then? operationalizing the idea pulling the right people together to bring them apart along the road helping to say okay who's got the real ownership do we have the capacity to do these things and it's that it's that aligning that process around communication and the people around do we have the resources do we have the skill set do we have you know the ability for people to actually pull this off and so we so i use that framework to really help break that that uh flow down, if you will, and to see, okay, where did it break down? Now let's go and dive deeper there. When I'm working with individuals specifically, there's um, I put a book out last year and it's a 12-week guided professional journal. And I actually use it inside organizations as well. But it follows a little bit of a, a similar concept but a little different. And what we do is it's encouraging people to do some really intentional professional goal setting, but then each week to actually document their successes, their failures, as I described to you, and then their lessons learned from both. And then at the end of each week, it has you do a reconciliation around um, what what did what failure did I learn the most from? And why? And then it goes through resetting goals and some other things. And the whole uh, point is that we need, you know, again, we move so busy in our american society that everything's becoming a checklist and the problem is is we end up disengaging in our organizations we end up not having uh the ability to advocate for ourselves as effectively or to show impact and it it erodes our confidence it er also though erodes our ability to have buy-in and engagement and so we ultimately then don't execute well and so you can see where all this is really connected and so the tool is meant for organizations and for individuals to have some ability to have control for themselves or as a team around that.
1: Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about managing people. I mean, you mentioned this this concept of servant leadership and you know, being there or, or one of your main jobs as a leader is to help figure out what support, what clarity, what insights does your team need in providing that so they can be successful. W- what are some I guess, ways or strategies a leader can use to help make sure that they're actually doing that with their people, they are providing that, figuring out what what resources they need and then providing those resources and helping them be successful. Are there any sort of techniques, practices, habits that you suggest leaders employ when dealing with their direct reports?
0: Absolutely. So two things. So from a one-on-one perspective, I highly recommend that when you get into the room, you're not driving your agenda. It doesn't mean you don't have an agenda. It Mm -hmm. just means you're really trying to figure out what's the most important thing that this individual has on their plate. And so there needs to be a dialogue where it's not just you driving your agenda and then they have a couple minutes left at the end. But it's really about engaging to say, okay, what's top of mind to you? And the purpose behind that is really around what's sticking for you, what's not working, what is in your way, because a leader's job is to remove those obstacles you know if we're in a team setting and you're having a team meeting it's really that same idea a leader's job is to block and tackle remove the obstacles you know and make the connections and the bridge that maybe the individuals because they're moving so fast aren't seen and so it's really around engaging to say okay if we're talking about this from an account-based perspective, we're saying, hey, what's going on in, you know, with this particular client? What do we want to do? Then it's really bringing the group together, but saying, what's sticking? What's a red flag to you? What are you wanting to see happen that's not happening? What can I do? Is there a conversation I need to go have with somebody to unlock this thing? And so that's really a, a real key piece, because that's then they can go do their job based on the skill set you hired them for. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I always find that's a bit of a challenge for folks. I guess, do you see, one of the things I often see come up with leaders as they move into these kind of leadership management positions with uh, particularly kind of more experienced senior folks, how do you deal with the kind of the dynamic of, of wanting to be a friend versus wanting to be a leader and, and kind of developing a relationship in that kind of direct report process? Is there any kind of guidance or model or mindset that you use or, or you suggest to leaders to, you know, build a relationship, but also kind of clarify the difference between a direct reporting relationship and a friendship?
0: Absolutely. I think this is one of the biggest struggles for people, whether they're moving into leadership or they're a business owner and they're trying to you know, balance that. So the key is, uh, and I find that it hits extremes, right? It's either, well, we want to go out and do happy hour all the time and party like we did when we were peers, or it's this, you know, I just, just come in, do your job, and it's kind of a wall up so where it really needs to land is in this middle place of of bringing empathy into the conversation you know bringing the idea of the whole person comes to work whether we think we can separate it or not we really can't so if somebody's having difficulty you know with an aging parent and they're having to spend their evenings you know trying to figure all that out they're going to come in and maybe they're distracted or they're exhausted and so understanding what they're going through just gives you a human connection, right? And it doesn't mean they they don't have to necessarily still deliver on their work. It's just you can have an idea and some compassion around, okay, they're really struggling right now. And then you can have a conversation around what do you need? Do you need a little bit of extra time to go figure this thing out? What can we do to help you? And oftentimes it's just that human connection that makes such a big difference. And, and it doesn't mean you have to be best friends. It, it's, it really helps to build respect though, because people at the core, everybody wants to feel seen and heard. They want to feel like their ideas matter, even if their ideas aren't you know taken and implemented. And so that's really really important and just trying to engage people in that way on a consistent basis, you know, asking them how how their weekend was and how their day was. And I get sometimes I know leaders like, "Well, I just don't really care." It's like, "Well, there's this balance between you need to have some level of concern and care because people are here to help your business thrive or to help this team grow." And so finding that place of Pausing and slowing down to find a genuine way to connect is really important. And it's really around creating a solid execution strategy, quite frankly, around your plans. It just you could do it in a really authentic way.
1: Yeah, Well, and let's talk about that because I think that sort of the execution side is where a lot of this, kind of the rubber beats the road in terms of ta- taking all these plans and the initiatives and the and the objectives and actually figuring out, okay, how do we how do we execute on this? How do, how do we make this happen? How do we operationalize? Uh, as a leader, how do you help a team figure out how the team, how the individuals are going to execute without kind of being micromanagey and being sort of directive or giving them individual instructions, uh, but yet making sure that things are really going to happen and there's going to be measurement and management around it, give us some mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sense of how you do that as a leader?
0: So there's a couple of different ways. So, so let's talk about it from a tool perspective. So when I'm working with organizations and teams, I really think data is incredibly important to understanding the makeup and the dynamic of a team. And I even mean a team inside you know, a service-based owner-led organization. Those mm-hmm. are still, that's still a team. And so what happens is often we assemble a team without necessarily knowing what are the skills and the behaviors and, you know, the suitability side of what this individual brings so that we can overlay it and create, the best organization, the best team that could execute in the ways we need it. And so what I always do is say, let's look at data. And, and I use some tool that's very focused on predictive analytics, because when you talk about data, you take the emotion out and you take the, well, he doesn't do X out of the conversation. And you start to say, okay, let's look at the dynamics in the team. So that's one aspect that that where I try to bring in and educate organizations and leaders on to say, let's you bring some data into the conversation and that helps. That aside to, you know, the other part of your question really is around, we still have to understand what our strengths and our weaknesses are and our triggers. Mm, yeah. And so it's really possible to say, you know, somebody could be extremely strong and frank in their communication, but if they can't temper that level of frankness and balance it out with the ability to also be able to be receptive to other information and ideas, that will that strength can become a detriment to them personally or to the organization. And so from a team perspective, it's understanding where do our strengths and our weaknesses lie and then what triggers us in a way that... If we have awareness of individually and collectively, we can be more powerful. And that's a lot of that's just, you know, even if you don't use a specific tool, you can start to have those conversations and think about what does this person bring to the table? Do they have skills we're not even tapping into that we just didn't realize they had or they had a desire to use? And so there is some of that planning to help make make some of those decisions. And then it really is about communication. And so often People get told they have to execute or they have to, you know, this initiative is now on our plate. We've got to go do it. And the breakdown is nobody's told them why. And nobody's told them why it connects to the bigger goal of our company. And then the other part of that is that nobody's told them why their work matters specifically into that and and that's really key to having engagement is helping people say hey this is what's important this is why you're you're tasked with it and why how and how the impacts going to make in moving this you know this project forward we've got you know a lot riding on and so those are really the, the kind of the three different pieces I would say depending on what phased organizations in that how they could tackle tackle that question
1: yeah yeah let's talk a little bit about the CEO specifically because I think that while you know all these things apply to you know CEO as Leader, I think there's there is some uniqueness about being, you know, the, the CEO of a of a growth company. What are some other things that you see sort of CEOs struggle with as they you know kind of move into this growth mode? As the company gets bigger, as they bring in more people, you know, as the operations get more complicated, what, what are some challenges that you typically see CEOs kind of run into? You know, as they develop themselves and you know strategies or, or things that you think will serve them better as they move into those roles.
0: So. Being a CEO, whether you're a CEO as a business owner or a CEO inside an organization, is a really, really lonely job you don't have the same level of internal camaraderie where you can bounce ideas off of people in the way where some of the ideas might be high stakes things. You know, you can yeah. build your senior leadership team, but it's there's these nuances where it can be extremely lonely. And so that's, that's a reality and that's something that people need to, to be prepared to address for mm-hmm. themselves. And so I think the other part is that information will not filter up to you. Feedback will not filter up to you. In the same way, unless you're really asking for it and you're really, really open to receiving it and you create that environment, that culture to do so. And so, what can happen is if you're getting filtered information and you think everything's fine, and in fact, you've got a team that's really disgruntled or high turnover or your know, toxicity is building because there's side conversations because nobody knows how to communicate that up you really start to sync your own organization. And so the biggest thing is to think about how do you start to invite those conversations in? How do you recognize up front the information will be filtered? So what do you have to do to engage and read between the lines and create a safe environment in a sense that so people can share that information? And then how do you find your know, support? And so I know a lot of CEOs I work with have a CEO peer groups that they belong to because they can have some idea sharing they can have, sharing of some concerns, things that they just don't feel they can bring up, but it also becomes professional development for them. So I think that those are, it's such a unique role and it's a lot rides on that role much more so than when you're, you know, a direct report of that CEO.
1: Yeah, those are good, good ideas. I think the communication stuff becomes so hard when you when you kind of move into that top role because I mean, unless you've got a really strong board, either board of advisors or board of directors that is is giving you critical feedback, you really don't have anyone you're reporting into, which is you know it's kind of nice at some level, <laughs> but it ends up being you know it ends yeah. up being a weakness, you know, because you, you just don't have that that person that can give you that honest critical feedback nearly as easily. So
0: you're right, and you know the other thing I think that I. You know, I often see in that role is that a lot of times CEOs are holding on to a lot themselves, and to your point, the communication then breaks down. And so, if they're not strong at communicating or they're not thinking ahead, they can things that they do share can then suddenly feel like a big surprise and come out of nowhere. And so, having strong communication, and whether that's regular all staff meetings, whether it's some type of newsletter, you know, depending on the size of the organization, but having some kind of frequent communication that really sets the tone that follows a consistent pattern is really, really important as a CEO in order to keep everybody feeling that they're engaged and that they understand how everything is lining up and why they're there every day.
1: Yeah, excellent. I know you've put together some resources for our listeners. Can you walk us through a little bit about some of the tools you've put on your website and how people can get a hold of that?
0: Absolutely. So what I've done is put together three tools, all complimentary, nothing is gated for your listeners to take advantage of for their own businesses and their professional growth. And so if they go to the group.com, so it's T-H-E-I-N-N-O-V as in A-R-E.com forward slash S-U-S, they'll see a tailored landing page there that's welcoming them from the show. The first offering is a downloadable checklist with some some feedback some ideas around why most strategic plans fail and implementing those type of initiatives and so if you're experiencing any of that it's a great resource to kind of go through run through and then there's some really great tips and ideas of what you should consider if you're experiencing one of those the second offering is a short about it's less than 10 minutes i think it's about an eight minute video and it gives some skill building steps that whether you're an executive or an individual contributor all you can put this to use immediately and it really is around a change leadership concept of how do you take some somebody through where we've been, where we are, and where we're going when we're trying to get the ship turned or when we're trying to get people to understand why we're moving in, in a certain direction or why we're rolling something out. So it's a it's a really great tool that people can put to use right away. And then the third is if anybody wants to have a deeper conversation on the strategy execution work and team alignment, then they can reach out to me uh, through an opportunity to schedule a 30 minute complimentary call as well. And if anybody wants to connect on LinkedIn, it's simply Kim Bore, B-O-H-R or on Twitter, it's at Kim Boar. So pretty easy to find me if you want to stay connected and, and follow the work I'm doing.
1: Perfect. I will make sure that the link and the handles there are in the show notes so people can click through and get that information. Kim, this has been a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time. Great conversation, lots of good details, You know, both practical, but also sort of philosophical, giving people some better mindset and some context around this. So I really appreciate the time and it's been a pleasure speaking.
0: You as well, Bruce. It's been wonderful. Thank you for having me.